Welcome everyone. Welcome back to Life in the Peloton. I'm Mitch Stocker and I've had a short break while the Jura de Zelly was on, but now we're back and ready to roll. I'm sitting here, of course, with my fellow co-host, Lionel Burney. Lionel, how you been, mate? I'm good, thanks, Mitch. Yeah, did you enjoy the Jura watching on TV? I did. I certainly did enjoy watching it as that weather rolled in. And that's one of the things that I do love as a pro. You absolutely hate it when you're out there, of course. But when you're at home, when it's good weather on TV, you're like, God damn it, what's going on? Once that rain rolls in, you're like, yes, horrible day. Can't wait to watch this stage. Well, it's been a, a significant time for you as well, Mitch, because while the Juro was on, you confirmed that you're retiring at the end of the season, hanging up your wheels after a long career. I guess we'll talk about that and on the other side of your interview, but tell us who is your guest on Life in the Peloton this week? Yes, we can talk about that after the podcast. There's a bit to say about that. But before we get there, I've got a stellar podcast set up. I sat down with Sagabu Gramey, who you guys may know, he's from Tigre in Ethiopia, a fantastic guy. He rides on Mitchelton Scott. He's been in the Peloton for 10 years. He's got an amazing story and just so inspirational. He speaks so passionately and that's why I love just chatting to him about it. This turned into an amazing podcast. So guys, without further ado, just sit back and really enjoy this one. Well, here we are, kicking back, life in the peloton, at my place. Now, I've got Skabu Gramay. Now, I've just completely butchered it, and he wouldn't he wouldn't tell me how to pronounce pronounce his name correctly before I started the podcast. So, Skabu, tell me how much I butchered that. Welcome. Uh, thanks. Thanks for having me, and uh, yeah just my name to pronounce not only for you actually for so many people yeah. in the peloton Tsegabu uh, Gebromariam Girmai this is this lost that was <laughs> <can't> so, <laughs> so yeah my friends called me Tsegabu so or my wife called me Tsege so the, this word that uh, is just that's exists in Ethiopia only I don't <laughs> think so <laughs> here in Europe so many people here Sigabu, that's what they're calling me, so you can say Sigabu like what he says, so it's... Sigabu. Sigabu, yeah, yeah, right. Just, just forget it, man. <laughs> <laughs> it's, 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 that's only in Ethiopia, <laughs> you know. Well, if anyone doesn't know, he's from Tigray in Ethiopia, and you've got your own language there. Yeah. Can you give us a little sample of that, something, can you say welcome to life in the peloton in... Your mother tongue? Uh, also yeah, in Tigrinya, which is also Eritrea, speaks Tigrinya language. We have my, my region in Eritrea was same language. And Nkwa Dahan Mazahum, group. That's that's what we can say. <laughs> welcome. So, but like I like my name has. Uh, we have yeah. this kind of word in Tigrinya. So this kind of like pressing without tongue and all the, I don't know like I cannot explain how it's going on with our tongue how we created this voice but it's that's the word most we use so it's like hasha it's like Arabic yeah. most of uh, words they use but we have this kind of a different also like it's, it's kind of this kind of word so yeah this is like looks like my language <laughs> is it is it then hard do you speak English there? Is English a common language? No. 
So when did you learn English? Oh, in cycling, bro. Yeah, right. <laughs> you speak so well. Ah, uh, yeah. We're doing a podcast statement. in English right now. So yes, you speak well. <laughs> Let's say I think so, yeah. <laughs> so is it is the pronunciation, is the sound so different for you in English? Yeah, yeah. completely different like what I say, like mm. like my name. <laughs> you know. <laughs> but yeah, when I come to cycling, many people ask me, how you learn in English, English like this much in cycling? Because I come, 2010, my first time in South Africa, I went with the national team. Zero English, bro. Zero. Like, I don't know what's left and right. <laughs> oh my gosh. Just like, hello, maybe. Yeah. That's it. Then, yeah, a lot of effort I put to learn. And uh, yeah, now I can understand, you know. <laughs> Mate, I want to cut straight to a point, and then we're going to go back and talk about your story. But I thought we'd start with last year's Vuelta España. 2020 let me set this up for everyone I was there at that Vuelta and it was very late in the year and everyone everyone's got a story from last year I'm almost sure of that last year was a big year for everyone in the world lots of jobs were lost lots of hard times COVID I'm talking about the pandemic by the time we got to the Vuelta España everyone let's just talk about the cycling world now in the cycling world, everyone was blown out. Everyone was over it. They said, oh, how can I do a Grand Tour now? It's so late in the year. I'm so over it. I'm so demotivated. Let's go. Let's do a Grand Tour. It's November. I was on that train as well, but I, we fought through and we got through it. I thought I was having all these hard times and I started to learn a little bit about your story. And in your country, in Ethiopia, there's, an in, there's a civil war going on at the moment. And I didn't know too much about it. I didn't think much about it, being very ignorant about it. You were racing the Vuelta at that time. I'm talking about this internal struggle I had to finish a Grand Tour in November. Let's put that in perspective, because what were you going through in your head in that Grand Tour last year? And give us a little insight to what motivates you in these, to get through these tough races. Yeah, it was really a uh, challenging time, let's say, let's put it that way. And uh, yeah, I, f- I found out uh, that in the second, end of second week, uh, stage 12, uh, that uh, everything was shut off, electricity and no phone and uh, everything. So from that moment, I didn't speak with my family. And yeah, just when they did it, actually, luckily, in that moment in my head was like, okay, they're going to open it tomorrow. They're gonna let it open tomorrow. Then every day I still was thinking about uh, my family and I didn't know what's happening inside and you couldn't speak no one in that region, everything was off. And besides also the race is ha- happening there. So yeah, I just, I just, I'm, I'm a guy that I spoke a lot with myself. Uh, if in that kind of situation, uh, like even like how I grow up, there is so many bad, up and down in my life and in this bad, bad moment I always speak with myself well okay this is outside of your mental or, or outside of your thing so let it be and just focus on what you have so that's what also happened in my mind in Volta okay this is racing happening and I will just keep racing even the team was behind me and uh, they 
said to me, if you want to stop or do something and like just let us know. And no, 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 I just want to keep racing. And even I was like, okay, focusing on my goal and try to go to the breakaway and just focusing to the detail because that's the moment that I forget and less stress I have in my mind outside of when I am the bus, always I go on my phone and try to call to my family and there is still nothing. And there was a force of friends in Addis Ababa, which is outside of uh, Tigray, which is, I can call and they were, yeah, it's, I have some information what's happening, but they didn't know exactly what is inside happening. So yeah, from that moment, just five weeks, man, I didn't know about fa my family from that last week of Volta and the whole off season it's just i hear nothing nothing so it was it was really tough moment really so and that's a wife and two young daughters yeah. and you still haven't seen them two today have you oh uh, yeah i saw them after uae ah uh, you after uae yeah, yeah. after five weeks uh, internet uh, the Telephone was on uh, that I can call. No internet still off actually, and uh, yeah, I tried. To, I organized it uh, to bring out my family from Chigrai to mm. the capital city. So, like from that moment, after a month, they moved to Addis Ababa, and when they come there, and after UAE, I went there. So, but from I left because of COVID last year, uh, I come July and I see them end of uh, February which is like in seven months. It's insane. And like, yeah, it's, uh, I, I bang on about how hard it is. Oh yeah, I'm an Australian, I'm over here. I don't yeah. get to see my, you know, my extended family, but my, my family is here with me, my wife and my yeah. two kids. So in a small way, I can understand what you're talking about because I could imagine going away from my family, even just a grand tour yeah. I go away, I miss them so much. So, Oh man, I, I just, I just don't wish, I don't, I don't wish that for anybody to happen this, like really, I know what was happening in my mind and what was uh, the time I passed through in that kind of uh, moment, man, it's just there is no word sometimes to explain but it's it's out of out of your control yeah like at the end it's the other thing was challenging for me is i i finished volta and my program was okay three weeks off and start training again i couldn't start like i didn't know about my family and everything and the year is coming like i need to keep also my job yeah so like it's it just it's just so much going on in your head and it's challenging time and but like, let's say I was really handling well because in that moment uh, I was doing a lot of meditation and all this stuff. Mm. It just it just helps me to through and to pass uh, uh, time and to when I am really under stress, like it makes me so relaxed. And when I when it had it it, it happened like that, I every morning I did it, and which is I always have better day mentally, you know. Mm. But still things going on and uh, you don't know about it and so it's it's but yeah it, it was it was great no <laughs> <laughs> i love you just like just yep just uh i love that i love that perspective it was out of my control so i've just got to do the things that are in my control let's let's go back to the beginning now and let's go before cycling happens because this is i think a lot of people are interested in and especially myself life back in Mikele 
Makala. Yeah, Makala. Makala. <laughs> yeah. Tigray. Yeah. Where you're from, the city, <coughs> Ethiopia. Yeah. Growing up there, a family of 12, yeah. two bedroom house. Tell me what that's like. Like, <laughs> tell me what your what your life is like as a young boy back there in Ethiopia. Yeah. Like, you know, help me understand that. Actually, yeah, it's so good, I would say, at this moment, uh, because, uh, like, when I look back, it helps me so much to handle bad or good things and to appreciate life, mm-hmm. for sure. But, like, what I w- when I grow up, I have five sisters, four brothers, and uh, my father and my mother, and we have only two bedrooms, uh, two houses, and uh, I was sleeping with my three sisters in one bed. Uh, <laughs> and yeah, that's how I grew up. And many family does actually yeah. in Ethiopia back that time. And uh, my father only works uh, uh, changing tires in a garage. Uh, he's the only uh, person who works and he makes the money for us to survive for 10 children. And my wife, my uh, mother, she doesn't work also. Uh, and yeah. she's got 12, uh, she's got Ten kids to yeah, look after, so, so yeah, right. she's, work, she's working. <laughs> she's working. Right. a lot. Yeah. <laughs> she's yeah, working harder them, than your dad. Yeah, in that kind of uh, scenario, they are okay. They yeah. they get used to it actually, and every family has. And man, it's uh, yeah, with ten children, and it's something good about it. You have a lot of fun, but when you fight, also you hate it. That yeah. family always like it. Just it just exploded a lot, and mm. also you you make a good time with the other one you make yeah. <laughs> bad moment the other side it's 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 a lot of fun and now we are grown everybody and we always have a fun but it's it's i i i'm now at this moment when i look back everything i appreciate my mother and my father how how they handle it everything and how f- they fight fighter they are like because as a kid i never think uh, what they are doing and uh, what's how they are suffering for us to have food and to go to school and to even like I was asking, I was really passionate with the sport. I, I wasn't good at the school. Uh, I would say I hated school actually mm. at that moment. I, I love uh, riding a bike. I love playing a soccer, football. And uh, my father was still helping me in that kind of uh, condition. And uh, yeah, it's just, it's just incredible, you know, and I, I I'm so happy, but just everything's happened for good. Now, like the strength I have, everything, the mentality I have, that comes from there. Those days, yeah. Yeah, so you don't feel it as a kid, but it helps you a lot when you, in this kind of moment and you go back. Actually, I wish for my kids that that kind of challenge they will have as a kid I had. You know, it's like, there's so many things mm. <laughs> happening and as a kid. And you up later in life that when you come into other things, you, it's, it's almost like it's not the first time you're facing it. You're ready for those hard challenges. And yeah. as you said before, kids aren't supposed to know those struggles that your parents have. That's not that's not their problem. You know, they don't get that. You, you know? know, and only now, like yeah. as you as a father like me, you realize, and I'm sure it's exactly the same as you. It was when my son was, my first son was maybe even a month old. I just had this amazing appreciation for my parents yeah I was like oh my gosh I get it now it's true it was only then I just all those times I made my parents worry 
I was like, I was such an idiot. But it took me <laughs> until yeah. I had my first son to actually yeah. get it. Yeah. And that's fine because, like, I don't want them to stress either. Sure. And your parents never wanted you to stress. Yeah. One thing I will tell you on this, yeah. like, I really appreciate my father. Uh, when I was five years old, since five years old, my father always took me to the garage. And everybody, like uh, my older brothers, they work so hard there. And also when you are five, you have to go to the garage. Even you don't do, like my father works changing tires. We call it this gomista. Uh, in It's Italian word, gomista, which is changing tires, the tube, the cars, punctures, old, old cars. So it's like they work this on the bus station. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, since five years old, I went there just to give or to see, it, like my father wanted us to, even we don't walk, that we are too young to walk, but like just to see there and to know what's happening there, and also to give like they ask you pinza or like the pass me the uh, yeah. pasting yeah. uh, as a kid, what do you do? But at that moment, like five up to twelve in that age, after the school, I always go there yeah. to, to the garage. And I hate it in that moment because my my friends or the boys I have in the area they play soccer and they play a lot of games after school and me I didn't have that kind of chance because I always I must go to the work to the garage mm. which is I hate it like I need to I wanted to play that yeah, kind yeah. of and my father said no after the school you come here two three hours and you go back yeah. and sometimes i found them they are playing and i continue with them sometimes they go home and they, i go knock i've come let's play you know <laughs> <laughs> because I, I because i must go to the garage and to do these things but now when i start in cycling working hard or suffering is something easy yeah when i come to cycling like one of the toughest sport for sure in the world and for me is man if i am feel tired and i i suffer a lot i, I just i have, it makes me happy like yeah. i just handle it so well i don't know why but i think because the way how i grow up and everything happened in my life yeah my father was right actually he wasn't saying me a word or he wasn't saying me do this do this he just takes me to the garage and i must do there he was teaching me something within me like mm. uh, second so, nature yeah, yeah so, so like working hard or so, doing something it's just just something like easy or riding a bike for example i start cycling just because of i love riding a bike i never think that it's gonna i gonna make money from mm. it but like at the kid i remember i stole money from my father's pocket yeah. to rent a bike to ride a bike <laughs> so now like i get paid to ride a bike so it's like that kind of life I have. Yeah. Working hard or something, it just it's not working hard, like it's just enjoying, you know, it's like that's what I'm so as a kid I was hated my father to take me to the garage, but now I appreciated him a lot because He able to give you that perspective. Yeah, just yeah, without word. Just there, like working hard, you get something and that's how I grow up and I never get tired of doing something and also with this challenge everything I spoke with my teammates this story what's happening in like the last November somehow I I made it like I handled it okay but the truth is like how I grow up helps me a lot also to handle it because Mm. when I speak with other guys they they feel bad with my story and sometimes they try to cry like no 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 it's not that much easy like you know yeah. it's not easy but but the way how i grow up 
maybe it helps me to handle this kind of situation also you know yeah just exactly it's it yeah you're hardened you know what it is to suffer to you can put things in perspective yeah you know and to go back to your father did all your brothers and sisters come down there as well or he just chose you to come no no all my brothers also oh yeah okay yeah so my older brother also he was cyclist and he was also one of the really worker and he still he still keep working training and he's just he just loving moving and uh, he's he's tough like all our family actually we are really workers like and that's because of our father i guess mm. he uh, actually my father also was cyclist long time ago yeah he he's the guy who was started racing in Magala huh. bike racing so it's like one of the first <laughs> guys so yeah my older uh, brother also he was uh, cycling I, I I grew up watching him uh, and I was racing with him before he retired also and my uh, sister she was a runner uh, my older brother also he was a runner I am a cyclist my youngest brother also cyclist uh, just it's family sport and we love working you know it's like it's it just yeah, it's it's tough. It's tough family. I would say it's not. It's not. I'm appreciating my family, but it's just that's the word. They're just hard, hard nuts. <laughs> because from what I understand, and this is not understand from the outside perspective, the image I have of Ethiopia is just these hard endurance built athletes, people, and the the three biggest sports there, from what I understand, is well, in your your city is cycling, yeah. soccer and running yeah is that correct yeah it's true and is is it like what we imagine everyone's sort of just out there just playing sport in the streets or is there quite a big culture because from what i understand too with your brother is that he helped you get into the cycling scene yeah. racing criteriums but is there a club culture or is it just a bit more free is it you know you're running here or is it really set up like the European world, like even in Australia, where you go and you compete on the weekends, and in schools there's a big competition. There's clubs. How is it? How is the sport organised uh, in your city in yeah, Tigray? It's, it's not like in Europe, but there is a, a race set at like uh, around forty to thirty races uh, in in my city. And uh, when you want to start cycling, you need to start with normal bike like mountain bike let's say but it's it's uh, just a town bike yeah town bike. bike yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, kind of like that bike and uh yeah there is a start point that you can participate uh, without uh registering or like in europe you need to register and everything mm. or start pay or like kind of just license just free, all that yeah, yeah just free open races like in the morning and you need when you, for the starters just to participate in the race uh, but there is no school races or like club in that kind of category but there is club that also they give you road bike uh, mm. and uh, like only three clubs so they look to you that when you start by individual like mm. come there to the race and uh, you you get selected from that kind of category and you make it to the uh, club team uh, and my brother was cyclist at that moment and he was helping me a lot of uh, stuff because he was one of the good riders also on that kind of uh, level in Ethiopia and uh, he was also before me in UCI Eagle actually and also mm. in South Africa uh, for was some he? months yeah, yeah, yeah 2007 2007 he was uh, so he actually had quite good bike gear when he came back he had a, an, a road bike yeah good from quality the yeah from, from the, the team, team from the local team yeah. because the local team get uh, everything for you like the helmet and the shoes and 
the clothing sometimes you get it in the shop and but it's so hard to get them mm. and also it's expensive and but the helmet the shoes everything it's impossible to get them because we we cannot afford them also mm. unless the team bought bought them so uh, the culture in Tigray is good for cycling and they had this from the government they look after that sport always they put a budget and they buy bike from europe uh, and uh, helmet uh, shoes all this stuff you know it's, is this it's because your father you said he was the first to start there uh, no no if my father was out of the sport but he was like racing long time ago like let's say cycling in Tigray started around 40 years ago so he was racing at that run around that so he was one of the first guys who really started yeah not the first but like the cycling cycling sport comes from Eritrea Mm. and Eritrea get from Italy Mm. like Italy was uh, Eritrea colonized by Italian and Italian bring the sport to Eritrea and Eritrea and Tigray also we were because they border each other yeah and also same language we are was same area so yeah we got also from them Mm. but when come to Megala after two or three years that's my father was participating racing wow. uh, in that in Megala which is yeah there was there is some people that before him uh, was who really the first starters uh, this sport in uh, Megala but he was like the first three four years just participating and he was uh, four years in the sport and uh, because he had family, he need to work also. Yeah. <laughs> so, but he, 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 we have a lot of story about it. Just he, yeah, they, they, <laughs> they, they do training, and they in the afternoon they work. You know, like because they have family and <laughs> they have this 15, 15 kilo bike and uh, no changing air. It's it's just like you said, yeah. they're hard men and they built up. <laughs> like you said, when you come here, and there's all these different bikes and there's yeah. a million roads. You're just like, this is. Yeah, easy. I know you said easy, but it it makes it nice. Oh, sure. Because tell me what training, what was training like back home? There's not a whole lot of roads, is no, there? No, no. Uh, now, actually, we get like five different ways to go out of oh. the city, which is good. But when I start cycling, there was only two ways. You choose in one way and you have to go back on the same way. <laughs> and that's, that's, that's a road also that every car uses it yeah. to go from city to city. So, but when I start cycling that moment there was not so many cars okay. uh, and there is uh, people traveling actually in the morning uh, uh, when i go back time i don't know why people was doing that from six to eight o'clock they all the cars goes to from bus station leave and they went and like after eight o'clock it's like empty Dead. so yeah. it's like if you have one car in 10 20 minutes oh, that's, that's it that's yeah. it you know so but we have to go if you do four hours you do two hours, two hours yeah. and two hours back and uh, the other side was actually uh, yeah uh, i still have some laps to do but i get used to it to mm. that kind of style uh, and sometimes also i do it in girona it's yeah. i love it man it's Out like and back yeah it's just it just i love it like w- in ethiopia when i uh, in that moment when i go like back in 60k like i, I feel like i'm at home close to home yeah yeah it, and in this kind of way also sometimes I do it in Girona or so in whatever I go just I kind of enjoy it I, I spoke with my teammate a lot about it and let's do it this way and no 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 we're gonna do <laughs> we're gonna do loop ah you guys are crazy <laughs> so it's it, and it's at 2000 it's at altitude 2400 yeah, 2000. is it yeah 2000 up to 2400 yeah. it's like kind of in the climb in the mountain slope uh, the city so it depends where you live so but from 2000 to 2400 and you can do training up to 3000 
Mm. And tell me about the nutrition. And I think that's probably been a, a bit of a change for you because in Ethiopia, when you were born in the 90s, they were just coming out of a big famine from the 80s. Is that correct? Yeah. And it was, I guess it's, you can tell me, it was a difficult times there for different different sources of nutrition or different styles of food. What was it like growing up in terms of the, the types of food you were eating in comparison to now what you have over here? Is it something you like over here or is it maybe not something you like the way you eat oh, over here? Yeah, some you like, some you don't. You know, like, I say I don't, but like most of is good, but like we, we grow up, like we, in Ethiopia, most of people eat injera. It's... it's uh, uh, it's tough. I don't know if you guys you hear about it. It's it's you can't what, Google like it. Maize it's, or yeah, it's like bread. Okay, uh, but it's it's in general it's it's one of uh, really uh, popular also around uh, in Europe now or uh, outside of Ethiopia. There is so many Ethiopian restaurants and <laughs> you can maybe have a look. Anyway, it's 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 good that everybody eats this uh, and it's very cheap and uh, uh, every family eats every single day this kind of just uh, bread solo yeah like it's bread it's like indian size it's big size uh, and uh, you use different kind of uh, vegetables and beans uh, on the top and you is you use you eat by your hand that's mm. our culture it's not uh, by fork or uh, it's just by your hand you eat it uh, and in the breakfast i grow up only eating bread i would say that uh, same bread yeah no, no, it's different. Oh, it's different like bread. from wheat. Oh, okay. This, this bread, I said, is steff. It's called steff and injera. It's different kind of uh, okay. wet. And uh, yeah, uh, that's lunch and dinner. We used it uh, and uh, it's like meat or this uh, pasta or this kind of foods. It's like, uh, it's when I start sport, I would say. Yeah, Actually, right. as a kid, it's no many. Uh, when you have, uh, you need to eat like chicken or like uh, sheep, just special day like uh, Christmas or uh, Easter this kind of uh, so mostly days. vegetarian yeah, yeah yeah it's it's because it's cheap and uh, yeah. yeah I know the, the like the rich people is different life they have similar I would say from here uh, but uh, like my family and poor family is like uh, it's it's most of uh, vegetarian and uh, in general that's what we eat and I still love it I still when I go back home I uh, use same style of food and uh, uh, yeah actually uh, since also about reading about vegan and all this stuff I just put it to my life actually a long time ago I was riding well and yeah. I didn't eat meat. Like yeah. It just, I, my, the energy was there. And uh, still now, I didn't, uh, when I go to the race, I eat meats and all this stuff, but I have no motivation to eat meat at, ho at my house. I never cook. Like, yeah. I always eat carbohydrate and uh, different kind of protein, maybe from other stuffs, but not meat because I don't grow up that kind of food. So it's, yeah. it's different. But most different, which is alike in Europe, is like the breakfast stuff, <laughs> muesli and all this. Uh, man, it's it's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> what would you have for breakfast back home? Would you just like when you say bread? What man, would you have just, on the bread? Yeah, just plain bread. It, it's when I when I was kid, like my father can buy only ten breads, ten different breads, like maybe 20, 40 grams. Yeah, okay. And you need to have one because we are ten. So he, he calculated it, and this is, and you have tea, and one bread. You go school, yeah. But I now I, when I st I look back, that was nothing. But at that moment, I never complained. 
somehow <laughs> that was all you knew yeah, yeah. that's the only thing so uh, my friends and the uh, neighborhood and all these also they eat the same so we don't think that these people breakfast eating more than that yeah actually in that kind of uh, situation when i would go back so yeah just one bread and you eat and you go to school that's it <laughs> how was your what sort of where was your family in the economic sort of scale there you said you there were the, the wealthy people and then there were the poor people were you guys somewhere in the middle or were you oh, how do you really. see oh, it's like poor people for sure okay uh, like if my father was not working we couldn't survive for the next day mm. that was the situation and luckily when my father's starting to retire he's now 74 years old and like he was almost stopped the work that we start making money like myself and my brother and try to help the house and to the young kids so my older brother starting to give money to my mother to help then i come up also getting money and it's we were so lucky with that but like yeah just just for today that's what we were uh, living and uh, man it's like my dream was always to be like a rich man which is like man if i have like 10000 euro oh I'm just i'm going to uh-huh. have great life kind uh-huh. of like that mentality yeah. i have because yeah to have 1 euro per day was a lot with ethiopian money in that kind of situation my father was struggling i know everything and it's like so just sometimes also like this kind of mentality you grow up and you want something you, you couldn't get it yeah. uh, uh, like my father bought me shoes and he said this is for one year mm. that's it don't break it don't break it then I play football l- a lot and I break it like quick like immediately yeah. it's like one month <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> one month or uh, and I have to bug him to buy me and one month maybe without shoes yeah. I have to go to school kind of like that I grow up so I bet I really appreciated that kind of uh, life I, yeah. I pass you know it's like it's it's so good for me and I, I, I saw that kind of life and I really appreciate la- uh, life now and I say wow what a life I have now it's <laughs> like it's incredible really because man now I have a car yeah to go around but in that moment I, I, I was looking to have a shoes you know yeah. which is that perspective man it's I'm so so proud and happy that I pass that kind of challenging time because if everything was normal and get whatever I want as a kid I would not have this kind of mentality now mm. for sure 100% because I saw so many kids that how they struggle in my age now because they grow up differently but I there is my my friends also who grow up with me uh, they ended up with bad things uh, still in bad situation you know uh, they participate in the thief, like uh, stealing stuff because as a kid you can when you grow up as a poor community it's 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 it depends where you go so cycling saved me actually mm. to have this kind of personality in the right way to go but the other kids that they didn't participate in sport they they have really different life i would say uh, really bad let's go now then to cycling and when things started to change for you and what I could understand from doing a little bit of research for you, you spoke about those three clubs, and one of the clubs was the the I've actually got it written down yeah, here. Trans Ethiopia. Yes, Trans Ethiopia team. Yeah. 
And they t- that team there was able to pay you a small wage. Yes. And that's where things, I guess, for you changed a bit. Yeah. This was like, wow, this, this cycling actually, yeah. I'm pretty good at it. You started to go really well. Yeah. And there's a little bit of money involved. Is this where you start to get this idea of the Tour de France or professional or when did that idea sort of enter your head? Like how were you exposed to the world of cycling outside of Ethiopia and outside Eritrea, like the pro world, let's say that. Like yeah. when were you exposed to that? Was it when you joined this team, when you started to feel uh, this level? No, uh, after uh, second year, I would say, uh, because my brother came to UCI, uh, Eagle, but at that moment we know the only race is Tour de France. We we never hear other races. We watch Tour de France on in, in the TV and that's we always waiting for, like mm. for the year. And uh, then my brother was coming to UCI and he back to Ethiopia and he was racing with me and he was telling us different uh, stories. And uh, he was telling me, I remember there was some guys make it to the professional, to the Tour de France teams from that center. Then I start to dream to go to this center and to do more. Mm. Like I always, I had so many interviews and uh, some journalists still ask me how you t- like you had a dream that kind of uh, that moment that mm. he never knew what's happening. But because of my brother, he has come in the eagle and he back and he was telling us this. He was telling this story, and I was saying to that. TV station or whatever interview I had because I was I was winning racing at the young age also in that local races and I was said I want to go to UCI center and also I want to be in one of the team out there mm. listen up everyone yeah, yeah. <laughs> just just yeah. it's just makes me uh, yeah. to create a dream uh, and also uh, my brother was saying me, you can't do much better than me. Like you doing this, you are, you have this quality and you can be a pro. And he was pushing me, he was behind me always. And I come to U- UCI Center, then I wanted to shoot France. That's wh- where I, I created the dream, 2011. At any cost, I wanted to shoot France. But there was uh, so many challenges uh, that uh, mentally that to make me to give up with everything because I've been racing the whole uh, time in Ethiopia with only 30 guys. Each team has 10 and like 30 guys in the peloton. And nice weather the whole my life. And I come to UCI Eagle like <laughs> just, it's just something else. And just things are makes you are sometimes to give up, you know? And uh, like the first two weeks I was like, oh, what is this like? It's not like I was participating in African races, 70, 80 riders, still big road and nice weather. But come to Europe was like completely different. But the good thing happened to me. I didn't give up. Like yeah. I still had somehow hope and that I can I'm gonna make it. You know. So that's how. <laughs> what was yeah? What was it like that first? Like okay, you spoke about the races and and the the roads and I can imagine the racing was aggressive and the weather probably raining and cold yeah. <laughs> and what about the other shock, culture shock of like you said uh, let's just talk about the nutrition and, and, and then like living in the hotel with the other riders and was this something that really appealed to you in the beginning was it was it a luxury or was it something you didn't like were you like I just like my normal culture back home did you get homesick in the beginning uh Yes or no, I would say, uh, because I wanted so bad to be a pro. 
in that moment like i had a dream and i i always keep saying to myself and to my people like i i want to have a team out there so to i i knew it also like if i want to make a team or to be in one of the teams in europe or in quantity team i need to pay that kind of sacrifice so i never look back like ah i miss my family my friends or i miss home or is this bad weather yeah there was challenges but like I'm going to do it. Yeah, I'm, I'm so determined. Yeah, this yeah. is awesome. I've and, got my ticket. And what good thing happened to me is like in the second week uh, when I come to Europe, in the first week I, I did under 23 National Cup. I think it was Picardy or I don't know. I'm not, I'm not sure. Uh, Demar won, I remember. Uh, it was one ra- day race in France and there was also a second race in Holland, the Lelem. Oh, yeah. National Cup race. Yeah. I was doing with Mix. You see, I mixed team, and it was so hard for me. The worst race ever for you, ZLM. Oh man, it's so hard, and it's just like I said, no way, this is not bike racing. It's like it's. Did this you know, motivate you even more? Be like, I can be better. I thought I was really good before, but yeah, now I've got to be so just, much better. It just, it just so hard. I said, like in that moment, and it's not. This is not cycling. Uh, there was from Eritrea Natna El Brahana in that moment I was speaking to him like if it's all the way like this man no way it's like this is not bike racing it's it's like I, do, I didn't speak English there is no one to speak and yeah. there is someone also yeah it's, there is also another good races for you yeah. it's just there is no way like just the race and yourself and the weather and the small roads the punch everything you talk about and like this is no way mm. then then in after that one week, we had in Italy, Toscany race, mm. which is climb race. And I finished fifth mm. GC in that uh, national cup race. Then, okay, in the I climb, can do this. I can do this. I had really good result. And like, man, when after that also, I hear that the other thing makes me more motivated. Is behind me was Roman Bardet by one second. Mm. I remember him very well because my coach was saying to me, this guy, you don't have to go like you have to watch him because it's one second behind you mm. so to finish to finish fifth i need to look at him and from that moment i know him i i knew him who is this guy then when we come back i hear a story that he signed with lgr yeah wait a minute like i was i beat him yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> then he gives me another motivation yeah to it can happen yeah, yeah, yeah. to make it like dream big and to believe in my dream and I can do it. Then there is so many races. It's a lot of up and down. And uh, but I, from that moment, that the race changed my mind. Like I can do it. I can do it. Tour de France. I can make it the team at any cost. Like let's let's do it. Then mm. motivated me to work hard. And even like after four hours, we come back to UCI. Like if you had lunch. Uh, that center like one hour I always continue training to yeah. to Get to make it cans. better yeah. than the others uh, sometimes I destroy myself but <laughs> that kind of motivation I had from that moment so yeah uh, I, I guess uh, well let's yeah let's talk about the end of the UCI and then you were given an opportunity to go to Doug Ryder's team MTN Quebecer. it was the very beginning of MTN it was just a continental team then and then it went to Pro Conti yeah from what I can see from the results, I didn't really know you as a rider at that point. Things started to click. You had your opportunity in the pros. You had your first big result in the Langkawi Tour, yeah. top 10 in the GC, but you also won a stage in Taiwan, yeah. second in GC. 
How are things progressing for you at that point? You know, pro uh, into a continental team, but then when you went to pro continental, were you just starting to get the hang of European racing and understanding how it worked, how it clicked? What were those first few years like? Yeah, in that moment, like after the first year, 2011 in UCI, I was looking to come back again for the second year. Uh, then MTN Quebec gives me the opportunity to try it for Quanti team, which is the UCI also agree. I, that's also I was looking and right, I just took it the chance immediately without doubt. And there was people helping me like JP, JP Vanzil, uh, the director of uh, African Cycling Center. He was he was there from the first moment. Who is he's the guy? Also, he sent me to UCI from African Cycling Center, from Poch Poch Stream in South Africa. Then he was looking me after me always he was said me I, I will put you a team or like you need to go to uci racing there and uh, maybe back to 2012 also then we gonna look for you team and that's also i was uh, dreaming of and yeah i was following him uh, what he say and he was said me okay mtn gives you the chance to ride and wow it's nice and also was good salary for me like I never expected that kind of salary to get, which is like, I don't know, it's like 500 euro <laughs> yeah. that the Quanti team was paying. Uh, so it's like, it was, wow, it's, it's amazing and changing, uh, life changing with the money and also chasing my dream, you know. Uh, then from that moment, I ended up in good hand. Like there was people I found who can help me to improve my performance. Get and more to, professional. Yeah, to get more professional. Then, that's also something come to me, the team in the 2013 become a pro conti, mm. which is handy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just come on the way, you know? To, yeah, to stay in the team and you're already and up another level. Up yeah, and the, and the other level and like Trof Langkawe and uh, Taiwan. Uh, yeah, I had a great result. But in that moment, I remember uh, like when I go back uh, that age, 21, 20 years old, wow just pedaling you know like so motivated and uh, just bike racing I love the sport and just I don't know like what's the future hold or what I'm gonna do but I wanna be a pro mm. in that moment I knew and just keep racing and mm. the result I had I wasn't sure it was good or not like really like uh, because just just riding a bike you know yeah. <laughs> then, then when I won Taiwan was was also another step just changing my life, I would say in that moment, that just makes me, uh, okay, yeah, I can win. Like the feeling of winning, it mm -hmm. gives you, then to the, that 2013 back to Europe, which is racing in this all Italian one day races and uh, all this uh, race in, with empty and Quebec was so hard, man. It's like, oh, it's <laughs> just, you come from winning in Taiwan and you come to Europe, it's like, Two different things. It's like coming, yeah. It's like coming from Ethiopia, to yeah, to Europe. It's it's different. But yeah. tell me then now, because after MTN, you got the opportunity to ride with Lamprey, yeah, uh, Marita, yeah. and you got a, a chance in your second year there to achieve that goal, riding the Tour de France. You actually rode two. Oh no, three good. Three grand tours. So in your first year, you rode the Giro, the Giro. and the Vuelta. On the Vuelta, and you were the first Ethiopian to ride a grand tour in that Giro. Yeah. You didn't just ride one tour. You rode two Grand Tours sure. in your first year. Yeah. What was that like? And I'm nothing, not talking down on MTN, but it was definitely a, a big step up. It was in the World Tour and everything went up a notch. You went to World Tour Racing, you did two Grand Tours and the following you did, did the Tour de France. It's just like for me, 
every year of your career almost you're just taking bigger and bigger steps yeah. is that how it felt in that big in the in the early times oh yeah according <laughs> the numbers uh, yeah that's what they say but like uh, just let's bring you back 2014 i like i had this part moment i want to share and also i want to thanks to the team empty kubeka for sure on this kind of uh, uh, moment they were really looking after me in that kind of in that year and 2014 i had a crash broken collarbone and i was out of two months in the beginning and i park i come back to the bike and i was like training so hard to to make it back and i just destroyed myself and I was not right like with uh, things how was how I was handling I wasn't hearing my coach because I start to think ah I know this like this is a training good for me mm. uh, like I was stupid actually <laughs> when where, I look back Where were you 2014 in Italy uh, in Luca or in Ethiopia like I yeah, was okay. uh, l- between both Yeah between both Zan uh, at the end of the year uh, I didn't had a contract with MTN which is also I didn't had the result in 2014 was like really bad uh, year i had it's most of the races i wasn't even i couldn't finish even uh, the races so but before that like in that year when i i hear i had no contract for 2015 believe or not somehow like in my mind i was dreaming big mm. i know i had no contract for next year but i start to think that one day i will do tour de france and it's Still. like man it's it, I get more energy somehow I don't know. I was like believing more that my dream will come true. Wow. That's from 2011 every morning I think is Tour de France to do. One day I want to do Tour de France. Every people I meet I say them don't forget this day. One day I will do Tour de France. And some people think ah yeah it's good you have big dream <laughs> but it's Tour good de France. Good on you mate. Yeah. Uh, some people say Ah, you talking bullshit, you know, yeah. like, <laughs> and you know, it's like. But the biggest thing I was challenging is myself, not the people, because in that moment when I struggle in, in the small races, I said to myself, "What are you talking like? You struggling here? How you can make it to the France? You talking bullshit?" Like, I I have this conversation with myself, and I start to ignore myself also. No, 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 no. Whatever you say, no, I will do it. Like. I'm that kind of guy also I don't want to hear with in me to say it's not possible. Do you think by telling all those people as well you also put that pressure back on yourself again that you couldn't give up? If you kept that goal to yourself if you didn't make it no one would have known. But the fact that you told everyone yeah. it was, was like yeah I'm making it and also now I want I'm going to look bad if I don't make it because I've told yeah. everyone I'm making yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's just that's was in my mind stuck yeah. and even I I had no contract. I don't know what I'm going to make it and I said to myself go back to Ethiopia start cycling come back again. Mm. I don't care. I will do it. Like wow. That's that's was my mind and Uh, what month was this at the end of the year was it at the end of the year like October in, no October sub, end of September and October I still was uh, speaking like to give me a chance with the uh, dog rider I remember uh, and uh, I was like really thanks to them also that's I am here because of them actually if that was opportunity that they didn't give us uh, give you was, three years already yeah, yeah it's like there was a, there was no way that kind of feeling to have like to dream big and to have the possibility and to 
to push yourself more and to, re- to dream more because that's they make it to happen in me and mm. which is I really appreciate and say to them thank you always then then Brent I know him from Lampre Brent Copeland he was the guy also he turned my life to this moment he was he, he the manager he was Lampre in manager and I I, I, I meet he's him he's now the manager at Mitchelton yeah <laughs> we Sorry. work again for, any, for anyone else out there who didn't know we're talking about this uh, is Brent Copeland yeah yeah so yeah in uh, in that moment I said to him like he you uh, were speaking in one uh, cafeteria and he, Luca and I was sharing him my passion and my dream and I, how did you know him he was uh, general manager in MT in Quebec 2013 oh, okay so he knows me there and I know him there and uh, the talent I have he knows but 2014 he understands something wrong with me yeah like he he's not uh, I'm not that the guy who finished DNF because of I'm Can't that be kind bothered. of rider yeah, yeah. you know he knows me 2013 I was winning and had good result and performing well and that the dream I had also he knows and when we meet in Luca he was staying there and I said to him at any team for free all right I just want to chase my dream I will prove and we had this conversation and he was not in Lampre in that moment but I think he had agreement to come back to Lampre then when he 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 become a uh, general manager in Lampre then he gives me the opportunity for wow. 2015 so like it was it was like turning point for me uh, I am here because of him actually uh, really if he, he wasn't give me that opportunity the way yeah, that we were speaking about doing Juro and all these results will not come up. Did yeah. you then, once you got that opportunity, I'm not saying you weren't motivated before, did this add another level of motivation? You thought, Brent's given me this opportunity. I don't want to let him down. Yeah. I want to go for my goal. But also now, someone else believes in me, someone yeah. big. And now I'm in his team. It's time for me to actually prove that point. Yeah a lot of going on in my head at that moment but it's yeah, like you said it's a lot of motivation still was like doing a lot of trainings and never get tired it's like <laughs> it's, it's unbelievable and 2015 I I start in two down under and like by 10 seconds out of, outside of top 10 I finish 11 yeah. in two down under which is one of the hardest races in January definitely yeah <laughs> then after that I go to African champion I won TT which is was I was in good shape which means like to win that TT uh, compared to Daniel Tegelhamont he was also green age and there was rainy uh, from dimension data there it's good TT biker like uh, great riders yeah. strong ass and yeah. I was a climber and I just won the race like wow and yeah. qualified for Olympic just turned it like 2015 for me was like okay started well then keep racing Treno and ended up Juro with Lampro we won four stages and I did Olympic uh, what was just to go before that what was your experience in your first three week race was it what you thought because this is this is your first time experiencing potentially what the Tour de France will feel like I know it's not the Tour but you'd never done anything like the Tour de France and you do a three week race we're like Oh, I don't know about the Tour de France. Were you thinking, oh yeah, this is the tour is going to be awesome? Yeah, I mean, the, the Juro like three weeks. It's, yeah, it's everybody knows like 
for the first Grand Tour is it's challenging. Yeah. So it's mentally. <laughs> Uh, more or less I think more than physically it's mentally yeah. you crack like uh, how that possible to go all the way <laughs> to, yeah. to three weeks then my goal was to when I start the race is just to end up in Milan like to yeah. finish the race it's nothing plan I had on the way was I was helping the team I was controlling and the, some days in the breakaway just uh, it's normal racing but I didn't have any goal like the goal I had is just to finish the race and, and I was 23 uh, that uh, that year but Juro gives me uh, I remember I still I still remember what I post when I selected Juro on my Twitter account my dream saying me it's coming through like like what I mean is like I when I still looking through the France it's coming it's not Juro Juro was saying a me, nice step yeah towards the tour yeah, yeah. Juro was saying me that your dream is closer yeah that kind of post i post i remember yeah, yeah. like and uh, that gives me okay if i do juro then one step more yeah, tour. Yeah, yeah. tour is like it's coming you know for me you know that's also i have been waiting for so long and that's the dream i had in my mind and in my head and like it's like it's everywhere like tour 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 that's it <laughs> <laughs> you know nothing else so yeah. well let's let's talk about the tour the next year you get the opportunity to ride the tour yeah how did that selection come about and how did you prove to the team that you were ready for the tour? Yeah, t- like 2015 I did Juro and Volta, Volta. Uh, which is also, uh, I, I didn't feel it about it. I didn't know what was happening in the race for myself, but the team see I'm good in ground tour, mm-hmm. especially on the third week. Mm-hmm. My, my recovery and everything was good. So uh, they, they that's why also they give me a chance to do Volta. Then the next 2016 uh, Brent knows about my dream and everything where I race and I share this dream always to everybody and he said he just said to me you know what 2016 full focus for the tour like wow. we give you this, this this race and show us then it, okay that was motivation. all you needed yeah, yeah the extra <laughs> motivation <laughs> okay this year I'm gonna do tour like I have to make it to the selection for the tour team then I had up to Dauphine all this race like Catalonia Romandi all this like, how were you up. going yeah I was like I was really committed to help the team and to be up there whatever they wanted me I was like I, you know I asked someone what's pro like uh, how I must do and Robbie was helping me a lot my agent Robbie Hunter you know what just listen what they say you and try to your best to complete or exactly to do what they ex- say exactly what they say and that's in my mind still at this moment whatever sport director said to me it's a guy will you do this that's my goal mm. for this day focus on that if i have to go to the breakaway i go if i have to help someone i help if i stay with someone until the last climb i do stay it. with him try my best that's that's always i do so in that kind of uh, year also that's always in my head and i am also good like something i don't know i don't want to say or i don't want to try like mm. i need help always someone to guide me and i stuck with it i i listen carefully and i try you my need best that goal yeah, yeah i try i try my best to to do it you know mm. and i trust a lot of uh, people like whatever they say to me oh yes they have the experience mm. and i have to do it and like like i said in 2014 teach me a lot i was a stupid guy like doing his way and he thinks he know everything and he was just going the wrong side. Mm. Then I found out it was not their mistake. It was yours. It was my mistake. 
So like mm. from that moment, 2015, okay, let's follow what the people say you the and do, yeah, yeah. do the right thing. So yeah, 2016 and all this, until now, I, I am kind of that rider, just listen whatever they say, they give me the goal and I'll do it. Like I am, I am on it, I try my best, you know? What was that day like then when you knew after the Dolphin A or before the Dolphin A when they said, Scarbu, you're gonna go to the tour? You were just like, yes. You know, that like after Dauphine, I knew that my program is to do the tour. And sometimes also as a bike rider, like in our mind or the situation, ah, who's the rider is going, I am better than him. Or <laughs> like, you know, you know, and you of have course. the feeling, you have the feeling you will leave it or not. So to Dauphine, I had really great year, uh, like amazing race good performance uh, I was up there in the climb when they said me break away I go break away like I had really good race uh, then I feel it like it's it's coming you know mm. it's like I will be in that selection uh, then the sele the news come and I was selected for the tour it was like I was happy I was celebrated at home uh, with the family I'm gonna do tour my in Ethiopia to, yeah in Ethiopia yeah. yeah I was there for the national uh, race so it was good but the first like like even the day before the race was like same like okay happy you are doing no, tour yeah. and your dreams can come true on the start line on saturday i was crying i don't know uh, why what was the stage it was flat stage just road stage yeah i remember in the, in the did anyone see you crying no i was just emotional solo and like i i, I, I until that moment i had a dream just chasing it every morning then on that day when I on the start line on the bus on before I was normal I am in the tour you know like <laughs> but just before the start like you know the atmosphere and everything even in the presentation I had nothing feeling but just on the start like I I become like zero dream like a, a man without dream wow like here I am I'm gonna start Tour de France Fuck. it's like it's and on that year of course i want like when tour de france is is the race everybody watching but we are in tour de france i don't know if other riders but my mentality was like always come to my end my mind it's like the paris like mm. change like mm. everybody how they it, race yeah. and to make it and in stage 10 i was crashed mm, and shit. broken my rib oh no it was really bad crash and I finished the race and I go in the, my uh, my roommate was uh, Louis Minges and I said, man, it's, I think I broke something here, like in my hip, <laughs> so bad, really painful. And uh, why you don't check it? Uh, no, I don't want to check Maybe it. they stop me, yeah. Yeah, maybe it's gonna be say it's broken, uh, but it's like, I'm gonna stop or like, I, I, I need to finish, it's like, it's and the pain is there like especially in the night i couldn't sleep i couldn't breathe stage or, or, 10 yeah and oh it's gosh. like when i when i breathe deep i can feel it like so much pain and the what did you say to the doctors no i said to them i had pain but like i didn't explain them well yeah, yeah. how much the pain and and i said to him in the night also sometimes i feel it and the doctor said let's check it i said to him no i don't want to check it <laughs> and Dr. Polastri, he's still talking about this story to the <laughs> team. And he, he said, man, let's check it and I don't want to show you to the result. And just let's check it. And this is in the 
stage 15. Fourth stage, I didn't do nothing because I, I wanted to make to Paris. And I had pain so bad. And I said to Luis always, ah, oh, man, I had pain. I think it's for sure it's broken, you know? Yeah. <laughs> then they do the x-ray after the stage. They found out it's broken. Completely broken. <laughs> <laughs> but ah, we are here and it was actually it was good to check it up immediately because from that moment they tried to give me spray mm. that painkiller then i was racing with mm. so you'd already done it without painkiller for four stages so when you got the painkiller it was like oh this is easy now oh man i was talking i was talking every corner of every speed control solo and i was angry like when it's like breaking i can't feel it or when oh. it's like speed control it's hurt a lot and I say fuck off man like it's like it's so bad uh, and but when I with I started with painkiller it was quite okay you know so I wish I wish I did it immediately after <laughs> but that's that's the tour because my dream was and like I just want to make it to Paris and was ah, it was it was joy effort I will say every crash every suffering I had everything was worth it oh man it's like it's just just I was a guy who was a dream in that race, man. Like that's that was my dream, you know. So it's that kind of. Tell me now, because this happens to me. This happened to me when I first turned professional. I had this exactly what you said. This massive, massive pull. This dream. This goal to become professional. Once I achieved that goal, and I became professional, I no longer set myself any more goals that year. That first year. Yeah. I sort of didn't think it was a problem. I just said, oh, I want to be professional. I want to make it. And I made it. That first year was so difficult, but I, I can say that in hindsight because I didn't have any more goals. My goal was to become professional. Once I became professional, I just rolled along and just did my season. The problem was I didn't have any new goals, new things to motivate me, focus on, drive me. Tell me what happened to you after this first tour because like this was the driving yeah. force for you for so long when MTN didn't happen, when you went to Lamprey. This was this pulling thing that made you go and train harder than anyone else. Suddenly, it's done. You've achieved it. What happened the next year, the years after until now? What has allowed you to keep focusing? How do you reset your goals? What's your new goals? Yeah, that's a good question actually. It's... it's I- that's also the key because that I found out if it's something you believe or you put it out there which is like a dream you have and you put it out there and you look that way that your dream and yourself and you try to go there it comes to you or you go there somehow it works mm. just you need to believe yeah on your dream and on your on yourself that you can do it which is on the way somehow it happens you reach your dream. That's how it teaches me what's Tour de France. From 2011 in UCI Center, young boy, and he had a dream. He wanted to Tour de France, which is mentally it's so hard for him. Like he grew up in Ethiopia. He comes from there. He don't know no one. Like he's not <laughs> from uh, big family that he can even do something to help him to reach a dream or uh, something kind of was was he teach it teached me a lot in my life to dream big and to make it so from that moment i said to myself you know what i need to make a dream now mm. that's something impossible to myself to do it 
not to someone else or whatever people believe it's it's their mind i don't want to put my finger if someone believe or not in my dream it's it's within me everything so i said you know what i need to do, create a dream and then two three months i was like after the tour was olympic and like i still enjoying the tour i had doing and the press in back home and become famous mm. and it's all this uh, stuff. The tour honeymoon. Yeah, yeah, yeah kind yeah, of. Right. I enjoyed and was uh, then end of 2016 uh, my wife actually my biggest support supporter and always when I said even I tried to crack in my dream she always said me no 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 it's possible. God will help you. Always mm. she she's really close to religion and she believes so much in God and uh, just she was just pushing me behind me always no 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 you you will do it then like when i spoke with her what we gonna do like what's what's the dream we can create you know what i want to win a stage in tour de france mm. one day i really want to do this is this gonna be like challenging and i need to make it happen like i need to i need to do it and yeah I I was talking with myself a lot. It's gonna come. It's gonna happen. It's so hard. Uh, even like, hey man, like it's hard to do it. Tour de France always to be selected to come to the tour. Uh, it's a lot of going on as a pro, you know. Uh, then finally, like I said, no. Th- then which is this is hard for me. It can challenge me mentally. I wanna do it. Mm. Then since that, like I wanna win stage in Tour de France that's my dream and I really believe 1100 times that it's gonna come because uh, if you have a dream you work for it you believe in it Mm. there is nothing like can stop you to happen so it just for example the last three years I couldn't even make it to tour with Mechilton and like I still like chasing it like that's that's the race I wanted and one day I'm gonna do it I'm gonna go some stage in the breakaway and it's gonna happen in my mind I create this image always crossing the line because that's my dream that's like out there I put it and it's just from myself found out and to got there so I still so motivated and I say this to so many people and I put it in my uh, Twitter like bio that's one day I want to do win Tour de France but it's not what I say it's what I believe yeah so that's that's the energy between me and the dream and of course also outside of your dream there is a teamwork there is a team order uh, team kind of you gotta make it happen with all those things there is so much things to going on in the team but that's the dream I have now and I really believe that's gonna come and yeah you will you will hear this back for sure when it's <laughs> happened because I will never give up yeah. until like it must come like it will come I'm one hundred percent sure because that's that's the dream I have and you know my my favorite book in the world is the Bible and in the Bible my favorite uh, thing it says if you ask you will receive mm. believe you will have it. You know, it's like this kind of words, this kind of things, it just gives me so much motivation. Why not? Why not me? It's within me. 
Yeah. God is within us and it just that's what I believe the energy everything is within me and it depends how I decide and how I I look and if I want it or not you want it yeah pay you need it. to sacrifice everything you and you need to keep going and uh, you need to make it happen at any cost mm. and I am ready for that it's like that's why also uh, let's put in first like in this kind of challenge I had last uh, month last uh, November when I start my preparation without knowing my family, my dream also keeps me to do my job because mm. I need to keep my job going to reach my dream and also extra motivation actually I found from this problem to save my family actually also because I would never think to like for about my family. It's all about my dream and chasing my dream. But now I start to think also about my family actually my kids uh, to support them yeah not support them but uh, I, I'm thinking to bring them here yeah. and to have life here which is also that's extra motivation wow I need to work more harder and mm. make it happen to have for the children to have good life in, in Europe otherwise in Ethiopia and you can have like I said it's like it's easy life and everything it's, it's just with the money I had is I can make it happen yeah. you know but that's also extra motivation I have I have found even it's 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 really crazy to say from bad mo- this kind of moment to have extra motivation but it's like that's what I found also it's like from this bad moment also wow I need to write also for my kids because uh, they don't have to struggle because my my daughter boys they don't even know they are from Ethiopia or f- they are from Tigray or they are from America <laughs> they, they are kids they want to yeah. play they don't know nothing so I don't want them to struggle because I see I I am from Tigray or they are from Tigray they had this kind of challenge so it's like I just want to keep them out that kind of mentality or kind of that uh, history no no nothing happened just you guys are okay so I found extra motivation also to keep working but also more than anything is my dream just mm. I want to do it I want to keep chasing it and if I believe in it I will I will do it and and it's not big deal because somebody is doing it someone is winning to the front stage why not me exactly and like like you said so you've been professional now for 10 years you're only 30 years old how much longer are we going to see you in the peloton for before you achieve this dream and before you then create a new goal what do you see as the length of your career now? It just sounds like for me, you're like just starting. That's <laughs> the, the motivation I hear, you know? Like, uh, and you starting. are, you know? Like <laughs> age 30, you're coming into those good years and you know, there's yeah. so much still more to achieve. Tell me about, you're in Mitchelton now, you've been there the last three years and like you said, you haven't ridden the tour there yet. Yeah. You've ridden the tour for th- three times so far. The next goal for you is to be in the tour with Mitchelton yeah. and to get that stage. Yeah. Is that what the future looks like? What? How do you see your the coming future in the peloton, in the pro world? Are you, are you going to be around for a lot longer? Oh, yeah, sure. Uh, <laughs> uh, man, like, I, like, what I believe is in my dream, I don't want to put time. Mm-hmm. Because, which is it's not really dream. Because I can't be, I can't fail more, maybe. But, I will never give up. That's in my mind. And I don't have a pressure also when it's gonna come or when it's gonna happen. I just follow the process mm. and try my best and follow everything 
I have to to pay, like I said to you. So that's it's something out. I put it out there, and I try to go there, or my dream will bring me there. Mm. But one day it will come true. That's what I believe. So I don't put time, but I I am I'm so motivated because of that, and also I have different uh, mentality at the age. I believe when like so many runners in Ethiopia or in Kenya, I see when they get older, they become good, and I kind of I found motivation from that. Mm. You know what? Like, look, Kipchoge still have speed. This like the runners Kenanisa high level. You don't year. need to put a time limit on it. No way. Like they yeah. still keep racing, and I am the guy also. In uh, I know like cycling and. Running is different. It's not the same sport, but the physical, I would say, if you mentally want, yes, yeah. you can do it. You know, so that kind of extra motivation I have. I am thirty. I still, wow, long way to go. I can't do it. You know, and and it's not on other people hand. It's on me. Mm. How much I work, how much I have to prove, and it's it's not easy actually to survive in proper autumn. <laughs> We are talking about Tour de France winning and making Grand Tour. Man, it's just to hold your, <laughs> to keep your job in is pro peloton is something, another challenge. But the good thing in my mind is I don't see that kind of uh, challenge. I see it, the biggest picture, which is you, you get through on the way. Uh, the process also will help you because what I believe in dream is like, it's not only you, your dream also will help you to save you. That's what I believe because mm. that's the Bible teach me, and that's I believe how God works. I have different kind of mentality on that, and I translate it to myself, which is if I help to God, God will help me. Which mm. is dream is God. God is my dream. Like kind of, it's 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 they are the same. You know, it's 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 uh, it's con it's the it's connected everything. Which is especially if you connected with your dream. That's one of you. If you Careful. fail, one of you can connect it, bring it out. That's how I believe. So I don't see failing or having out of contract because I believe in my dream. If your dream is true, it's gonna come somehow. If you fail, also will save you because when you go to bad way or bad moment or bad things happen, always comes to your mind is your dream because it's it's connected to you. If it's mm. it's really like it's okay, takes you out. It's not you. It's your dream because you sit it up there, and if you go to some bad moment or you get bad friends or you lose your way, from your way your dream can bring you back, back because on the right path. Yeah, because you had set it up before, and you are you were connected. But mm. in that moment you try to lose, and your dream comes to your mind. Ah, you have a dream, and you go back mm. to your right way. It's so when you don't have that goal set and that dream. Is when you drift off on that path that. You, you can, know, like can you stay away. Yeah, <laughs> you, exactly. know, you know what I mean? That yeah. kind of, I see. So it's, it's not, it's, it's, all, it's all about helping each other and having a dream, dream is like having hope. Yeah. And hope is good. Mate, <laughs> that's awesome. Let's, uh, let's leave it there for the minute. It's been great chatting to you. Really appreciate it, mate. Oh, thanks, man. Thanks for having me, and I'm um, really enjoy it. I never, I never actually talking about this kind of stuff. Always we have talk this kind of stuff in the bus and with the, our teammates. But on broadcasting here, it's I'm so happy. Just enjoying so much, and thanks so much. For awesome, mate. Man.
There we have it. Sugabu Gramay. I'm really not pronouncing that correctly, but there it is. What an awesome pod. What a great guy. I hope you guys felt just as inspired as I did after hearing that. For me, I could relate to what he was saying about chasing that dream, setting those goals, and what you achieve on the way to pursuing that goal. He's still on that train now. He's on that pathway, and that's what I loved hearing about it. I left it. I left speaking with him so inspired, thinking, what are my goals? What what direction am I going in? So it was just, it was really, really refreshing. Lionel, what did you take out of that? Well, I've spoken to him a few times at races over the years, and, and obviously when you're talking to somebody outside the team bus, there isn't the time to go into um, such detail and depth because you only really get a few minutes. And it's obviously an absolutely fascinating story and just having the time uh, to listen to the two of you uh, unfold the story gradually and it gave me a real sort of deep appreciation of uh, you know how he's made it to the elite peloton and uh, yeah a, a really fascinating story um, and and one that I just thoroughly enjoyed listening to I mean he's been in the peloton uh, coming up for a decade now hasn't he and ridden the Tour de France as I say a few times and you can tell his enthusiasm there is he's not done yet and i just wondered whether you know any of that enthusiasm rubbed off on you mitch and, and made you reconsider your recent decision <laughs> it was funny when i was talking to him about you know how much longer do you think you'll go on because obviously i'm in that kind of mindset at the moment and i've made that decision and i'm, I'm looking forward to that next phase of my life away from professional racing and what sort of he threw me a bit of a curveball i sort of thought you know he's 10 years along maybe he's thinking about it no way. It was just like, oh, what are you talking about? I'm I'm just starting. I'm just settling in. And he was so, in, you know, he was, he was motivated. And not that I wasn't motivated, but it was just there's so much more I want to achieve in it. And he's still got this goal of winning a stage. And he's like, it's still so hard to achieve, but I'm, I'm going to find a way. And that was something I came out of it with. It wasn't like I went, oh, geez, I want to be back racing pro cycling. But I just love that that energy that he had towards his goals and what he wants to do and just that direction that he had. And it's like you can really, whatever walks of life you're doing, whether it's cycling or working or whatever it is, you've got to set those mini goals and have that direction and have that gravitation pulled towards whatever you're doing. Absolutely. Uh, well, let's uh, talk about your decision, Mitch, because you've uh, taken the decision to uh, bring the curtain down on your pro career at the end of the season all being well, your final race will be Paris-Roubaix. I mean, uh, a race that means an awful lot to you, of course. But uh, talk me through how you came to this decision and, and uh, decided to make it. Yes, yeah, so I've been thinking about that um, for a while. Um, and I said this to someone the other day, uh, some other young pro who was telling me, younger pro, not young, young. And he's like, yeah, I've had those thoughts as well after last year, after COVID. I said, look, in my experience... You, you'll have that thought probably about 10 times in your career. You know, you have a bad classic season. Well, typically for me, this is how it happened. I had a bad classic season early in my career and I went, that's it, I'm done. You have a bad grand tour. That's it, I'm done with this sport. And then you probably get to, you know, closer to the end and you get a bit more serious about those I'm dones. Um, and I think last year was a, a big year for everyone. I sort of, having that time at home with the family, the level of sacrifice I needed to, to make to come back into the peloton at the end of last year and the level of racing lifted and it hasn't dropped. Um, or maybe, you know, maybe I am getting slower. I don't think so. The, with the data, the, the level of the peloton is getting 
faster. And I just realized, you know what? In order for me to keep going, to be in the peloton, to be competitive, I've, I have to keep stepping it up. And with two kids on the way, I went, you know, I'm, I'm not willing to make that sacrifice. And I love riding my bike, but to be a professional cyclist, I think I'm just drifting away from that lifestyle. Um, so that decision was at the end of last year. I gave myself another year to say, hey, maybe it was the COVID sort of talking there, this lockdown year. But those feelings were still there after I did Strata Bianchi, after I did the opening weekend, great races, and I still could do my job, could do what I needed to do to be a professional cyclist, but the real passion, the real edge just wasn't quite there. And I thought, well, you know what? It might be time to step away from the sport before I uh, get to that point where you're really dreading going to races. Um, and that was just, a, it was a group decision with myself and the family and made it early enough that we could really just enjoy the rest of the season. So it's time to see what life has in store outside of the peloton. And we wait and see what, uh, the, 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 big, what the big wide world has in store for you, Mitch. I'm very excited. Yeah, like scared, scared and excited because it's something that I've known for so long. And, you know, you do it second nature and you know how to go a bit harder or a bit easier. That's just what you do. That's your job been you know cycling for almost 20 years now you know not professionally obviously but it's something that I've known and to step away from it and do it almost feels like you're retiring from your, your career because you know ultimately you are starting fresh but I am just thinking about it giving myself a bit of time and seeing what opportunities arise and then maybe pursuing them on we'll see where the road takes me next year and Paris-Roubaix of course it's taking place on the day after your birthday so I mean it could be the perfect weekend I know. How good's that? I tell you, it was my decision, my official decision came after the Roubaix was cancelled. And then I went, you know what, what am I waiting for? You know, Roubaix was going to be a, a telling moment for me. And when I didn't get to do Roubaix in April, I went, okay, I'm going to call the team and say this is it. And I just thought, wow, to be able to finish on Roubaix at the end of the year, it's going to keep me inspired to the end of my last year. It's going to make me train as hard as I do every year for the classics right till October. And I'm going to have the hardest, most beautiful race to finish on. I'm romanticizing it now, but I can tell you right now, there's going to be some moments when I'm doing Roubaix at the end of the year where I'm like, this was a bad idea. <laughs> but you know what? I'll deal with that at the time. And uh, at this moment, it's just sounding pretty nice. But anyway, Life in the Peloton is back now for a couple of weeks. I've got another podcast coming up in a fortnight's time. Then we're around again for the Tour de France, believe it or not, that quick. We're going to have another little break while the Grand Tour is on. And then I'll be back again after the Tour de France. But that's a long way off. Hang in for two weeks' time. There'll be a talking luft over at Life in the Peloton next week if you want to hear a little bit more from Sagabu. But guys, thanks again for tuning in. Love hearing your feedback. So I look forward to hearing from you. Cheers. You have been listening to Life in the Peloton. The producer of this episode was Will Jones. The music in this episode was composed by Pete Shelley. Thanks, mate.